In the past few weeks, over one billion Roman Catholics have mourned the death of Pope John Paul II and anticipated the arrival of his successor. Today, on The John Akerberg Show, you will hear a debate on the topic, Did Jesus Christ Establish the Office of Pope Over the Christian Church? My guests who will debate this question are Father Mitchell Pacwa, a Jesuit professor and an ordained Roman Catholic priest, and the late Dr. Walter Martin, a Protestant scholar. In the early church, the Greek fathers uh, and Western fathers alike both interpreted it in two ways. One, they said that the rock, Peter, is the person on which Jesus is building the church. And other times, even the same father of the church, like Augustine, for instance, taught that the Petra is his act of faith. If there's one person that should know what Jesus meant in Matthew 16, it's got to be Peter. And if you go to 1 Peter, uh, Peter chapter 2, specifically says, you are built, say, on the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ. But in another commission to Peter, which, you know, we, uh, scripture scholars um, of all, all different, you know, brands and colors, consider to be the, the Johannine version of the same setting apart of Peter, where he is called shepherd. So Jesus the shepherd makes Peter the, the shepherd. Again, Pius IX, I alone, despite my unworthiness, am the successor of the apostles, following Gibbons, uh, the vicar of Jesus Christ, following the catechism. I alone have the mission to guide and direct the bark of Peter, successor of the apostles. I am the way, the truth, and the life. They who are with me are with the church. They who are not with me are out of the church. Now, what disturbs the Protestant uh, at this particular juncture is that we are no longer talking about the faith of Peter. The Roman Catholic Church claims that Jesus made Peter the Pope and gave him and his successors supreme power in faith and morals over every person in the Christian church. But is this true? Why did the Apostle Paul never mention the office of the Pope in any of his epistles? And did Jesus give the same keys to the kingdom to the other apostles that he gave to Peter? Today, you will hear both sides of these questions. We invite you to join us. Good evening. Tonight we're examining the claims and the authority of the specific doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church. What is the evidence for their claims and their teachings? My first guest is an ordained Roman Catholic priest, Father Mitchell Pacwa, who is a member of the Society of Jesus, a Jesuit. He's earned a Doctor of Philosophy degree and is currently a professor of Old Testament at Loyola University in Chicago. My second guest is Dr. Walter Martin, and Dr. Martin is director and founder of the Christian Research Institute in California, and Walter is the author of many books, especially the classic book known by both Protestants and Catholics, The Kingdom of the Cults. Gentlemen, we're glad that you're here tonight. I'm reading from the New York Catechism, and I'd like to talk about the authority that uh, the Roman Catholic Church says that they have and has taught uh, in many of their documents. I'm reading from the New York Catechism, which says, the Pope takes the place of Jesus Christ on earth. By divine right, the Pope has supreme and full power in faith and morals over each and every pastor and his flock. He is the true vicar of Christ, the head of the entire church, 
the father and teacher of all Christians. He is the infallible ruler, the founder of dogmas, the author of and the judge of councils, the universal ruler of truth, the arbiter of the world, the supreme judge of heaven and earth, the judge of all, being judged by no one, God himself on earth. And this seems to rest on the basis uh, that was stated by uh, Cardinal Gibbons in his book, Faith of Our Fathers, the short one here. The Catholic Church teaches that our Lord conferred on St. Peter the first place of honor and jurisdiction in the government of his whole church, and that the same spiritual supremacy has always resided in the popes or bishops of Rome as being the successors of St. Peter. Consequently, to be true followers of Christ, all Christians, both among the clergy and laity, must be in communion with the See of Rome, where Peter rules in the person of his successors. The opposite way of saying this would be, if anyone says that the blessed apostle Peter was not constituted by Christ our Lord Prince of all the apostles and visible head of all the church militant, or that he, Peter, directly and immediately received from our Lord Jesus Christ a primacy of favor only and not one of true and proper jurisdiction, let him be anathema. Now, I know that most of the writings establishing Jesus, establishing Peter, go back to Matthew chapter 16. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to start with that tonight. Matthew chapter 16, verses 17 through 19, is supposed to prove this doctrine. And I would like for you to tell us why you think that this doctrine is proved from this passage or from other verses. Let's start with that. Okay. The, the, the sense that the church developed in its understanding of that text over time was twofold mm -hmm. in the early church. Mm -hmm. On one hand, you know, as almost every Protestant you know, knows, there are two words here that you are Petros, and on this Petra, I will build my church. In the early church, the Greek fathers uh, and Western fathers alike both interpreted it in two ways. One, they said that the rock, Peter, is the person on which Jesus is building the church. And other times, even the same father of the church, like Augustine, for instance, taught that the Petra is his act of faith. Let me read the verse for the people at home so they know what we're talking sure. about. Verse 18, and I'm reading from the Catholic Bible, And I say to thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. On one hand, even in the, in the early church, when they use that distinction between Petra and Petros, you know, it's explained in different ways, that you know, Petra, the noun, is feminine, and it was just masculinized when changed, in translating Peter's name into Greek. Okay. In, in Aramaic, there would be no difference. You know, it'd be antik al okay, just plain Aramaic. Huh? And there'd be no distinction in terminology. As a matter of fact, the place, if you've been, I don't know if you've been to Israel, but the place where this takes place, Caesarea Philippi, is a perfect setting for this, sta this statement. Because behind the city, is this solid rock cliff that goes on for approximately a mile in either direction. It's just enormous. And so there's also a visual image here. And so we see that this, we believe that this person and his act of faith 
or you know both are the basis on which Jesus builds his church and there's a principle that we see throughout the Gospels that what Jesus is he makes his apostles especially and the rest of us too so that Jesus is the rock of our salvation to be sure but he makes Peter rock Jesus calls himself the Good Shepherd in John chapter 10 but in another commission to Peter which you know we uh, scripture scholars um, of all all different you know brands and colors consider to be the, the Johannine version of the same setting apart of Peter where he is called shepherd so Jesus the shepherd makes Peter the, the shepherd more because he loves you know wants to know anyway whether Peter loves Jesus more than all the rest okay let me stop you there and Dr. Martin why don't you get into this well what we're really talking about are differences that persist uh, since Vatican II between classic Roman Catholic theology and Protestant theology, Reformation theology. And um, what he's saying I'm well acquainted with, uh, as any scholar in the area would be. The problem that we have is that the statements you read before from Cardinal Gibbons and other statements which have been made indicate that it goes far beyond the concept of Peter's faith. Mm -hmm. uh, it goes to the actual individual, and I think uh, that uh, you'd be the first to admit that. Mm -hmm. uh, for instance, um, uh, in um, Boniface VIII's Unum Sanctum, mm -hmm. uh, which Cardinal Manning says, and I quote, is uh, beyond all doubt uh, an act ex cathedra, close quote. That's Manning, who's an authority, allegedly, on uh, papal mm -hmm. decrees, yeah. and he says, quoting Unum Sanctum, quote, we declare, affirm, define, and pronounce it to be necessary to salvation for every human creature to be subject to the Roman pontiff. Again, Pius IX, I alone, despite my unworthiness, am the successor of the apostles, following Gibbons, mm -hmm. uh, the vicar of Jesus Christ, following the catechism, I alone have the mission to guide and direct the bark of Peter, successor of the apostles, I am the way, the truth, and the life. They who are with me are with the church. They who are not with me are out of the church. Now, what disturbs the Protestant uh, at this particular juncture is that we are no longer talking about the faith of Peter. Peter is a little stone built up mm -hmm. into the tabernacle. He says so himself. Mm -hmm. uh, what we're dealing with now is a statement of the usurpation of the role of deity. And you mentioned before where what Christ was, he called the apostles. Mm -hmm. Well, Christ was God. The apostles were never called God. Right. And yet here in this particular statement that we read before, John read from Gibbon, uh, you have the Pope being called a God on earth. Mm -hmm. No, he's not a God on earth. He's a man. And he's a sinner in need of a savior just like all of us. And so the principal idea of carrying on the idea of the faith of Peter in the church is one thing. But to argue for the supremacy of the man when the man's um, predecessor, Peter, uh, if there's one person that should know what Jesus meant in Matthew 16, it's got to be Peter. And if you go to 1 Peter, uh, Peter chapter 2 specifically says, you are built see, on the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ. He said, we're all little stones built up into a spiritual tabernacle, Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, the church universal, the church invisible, but we're all part of the building. And we're built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ, chief cornerstone. Now, you admitted before 
And Christ is the rock, the foundation, the Savior, and so forth. Great. If that's true, then why is it necessary to transfer titles that belong to Christ to the papacy, such as um, Holy Father? Now, calling you Father, or me Father, or somebody else Father, as a title, we both agree, is a title. But to say Holy Father which is a title reserved uniquely for God himself, and to identify that with a man, to call him in the catechism a God on earth. Uh, this goes in the Protestant mind far contrary to the scriptures than just the idea of Peter's faith. One of the things about the, even the title God on earth, okay, mm -hmm. as you know, in the so-called covenant code mm -hmm. in the book of Exodus, mm -hmm. judges in Israel are called God. In Hebrew, they're called Elohim. Psalm 82.6. Same word, Elohim. Mm -hmm. and, and these, uh, or, yeah, that's right, another example of it. And there, you know, one of the things that, you know, I find that in, in Hebrew disturbing, you know, text, but again, it's scripture. And it's only would be applied to, to the Pope in his judge, and in his role as a judge, you know, of various issues. Now, for sure, the Catholic Church, you know, looks upon the Pope, you know, as a successor of Peter, not just his act of faith, but of the person. And that he has the authority of Peter that goes on from not just being rock, but as it also says you know, here in the text, that I'll give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you, singular, shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And so that this person, you know, who then is also John told to uh, feed the lambs and sheep, is here to, given an authority to loose and to bind in a singular way. Now, the apostles are given the same authority of loosing and binding later on in Matthew 18 and also in John 20, especially in reference to forgiveness of sins. As you made a point a moment ago of the singular usage of I will give to you the keys of the kingdom. Mm -hmm. In Matthew 18, you have a parallel. Well, it's a plural. Mm -hmm. where he right. gives the That's disciples right. the right. power That's to bind right. and loose, which is the keys to the kingdom. And one of the important aspects of the Catholic teaching of the papacy is that the papacy cannot be seen apart from the college of the bishops. That he, the Pope, even for instance, there are two you know, statements by popes that claim for sure, claimed by them, not by Cardinal Mann, but claimed by the popes, to be infallible. Okay? The Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin, which I'm sure we'll get to later, and the Assumption into Heaven of the Blessed Virgin, which I'll we'll also get to later. <laughs> no doubt. I think we better reel the tape back and get to the first one where he committed the error of begging the question and affirmed himself infallible in 1870, which the Universal Church never recognized. He said, I am the successor of Peter. I am the infallible teacher. And they said, why? And he said, because I say so. I think we better reel the tape back and get to the first one where he committed the error of begging the question and affirmed himself infallible in 1870, which the Universal Church never recognized. He said, I am the successor of Peter. I am the infallible teacher. And they said, why? And he said, because I say so. Well, at the same And that's time, exactly what happened. At the same time, that's not, a, that's not all that happened because cardinals oh, there themselves... Was more. Yeah, there's quite a bit more. Cardinals and other bishops came there yeah. you know, craving 
you know, Manning himself being mm -hmm. one of them, yes, a I convert know. from Protestantism, mm -hmm. who eventually got, was ordained, became uh, uh, the first cardinal of England after the restoration of the bishoprics there. The, the bishops have been not allowed to be in England, you know, up until uh, the early 19th century. Father Parker, can I, can I come back here? If we're going to talk about the keys of the kingdom, which we're, we're talking about, is no doubt Jesus said the keys to the kingdom, but also in, in Matthew you find that the Pharisees and the scribes had the keys to the kingdom. The other disciples are given the keys to the kingdom. I think what the Protestant side of the church is saying is that the, the definition of the keys of the kingdom has been overblown. And where do you get this, these fantastic claims of authority? Number one, to Peter, because then you'd have to justify it biblically as well as historically. And Protestants reading their Bible, a lot of people, including Catholics that I've got quotes here, read their Bible. They don't find Peter being supreme in the scripture text, the one we're reading or the one in John. Mm -hmm. Why did Jesus three times say to Peter, do you love me? Because it goes back to the fact he denied him three times sure. when okay, he was supposed sure. to stand for him. Mm -hmm. Now, all the scriptures from the time that Jesus said, you are the rock, okay? From that point on, right immediately, Peter turned around and said something wrong, and Jesus accused him of being one that was used by Satan. Sure. Okay? You go on, and Peter affirms later on in Matthew that he's going to stand for Jesus. He will be there. All the rest will flee. And Jesus turns and says, no, I'll tell you what, you're going to deny me three times. And he opposes Jesus and says, no. And then he goes ahead and he does it anyway. So instead of people seeing Peter as being supreme and the head of the church, Peter blows it. One of the things that, that, that I'm glad you brought that up, because um, as I started to say before, again, that supremacy of Peter among the bishops is only possible in the context of all the bishops, okay? But and we it, don't it, see it in the context of the New Testament of well, the apostles. Well, 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 that's one of the things that, um, that we Catholics disagree on in terms of understanding the New Testament. First of all, I can't think of any text where the Pharisees are said to have the keys of the kingdom. Well, let me give one to you then. Matthew yeah. chapter 23 and mm -hmm. verse 13, you'll find that uh, the scribes and Pharisees exercise the same kind of power. But let me, we've only got about a minute left here, and uh, okay. what we need to do in this week's program is when I talk about the fact of Peter being supreme among the apostles, I find that Paul opposed him to his face. Right, absolutely. Okay, and was he supreme there? Was he the head there? At the same time, sure he was. He was wrong. And that's one of the things about the papacy. Uh, I think that you know, Protestants misunderstand in terms of infallibility. Not everything the Pope says is infallible but by any matters. means. Okay. By any means. We've got just a few seconds. But in count. matters of faith and morals, he is. And he was immoral in his dealing with the Gentiles. And Paul rebuked him on a matter of faith and morals. First of all, you know, what you have in Paul and Peter's dispute in Galatians again, is not a dispute about some infallible statement by Peter. Okay? So it's, by his own, it's about his own practice okay. on something that already had been decided by the church. Now, Catholics do not say that we can't tell the Pope to live up to certain things in his own life. As a matter of fact, Dante, you know, when in, his, in his Inferno, mentions that a number of popes are in hell for various reasons. And, you know, Remember, and you, no, sa you said that. I didn't. That's right. That's right. Well, well why not say it? You know, I don't know that they're in hell. Dante knew. Um, so he says. And, and the thing that you know, the, the Pope's infallibility does not mean is that the Pope is right all the time. In no way does the Catholic Church even teach that. He's infallible only when he speaks ex cathedra 
in order to clearly speak infallibly. He has to say that explicitly, that he's speaking infallibly. Secondly, it has to be to the whole church, not to one part or one individual of the church, but to everybody in the church. And thirdly, it has to be on the issue of faith and morals. He cannot infallibly say okay. that the stock market will Okay, rise. what would be another option that would seem to fit this evidence better from your point of view? Would you please explain that so we get it on the table anyway? I would take Augustine's position, All right. uh, a very great theologian, that Peter's confession of faith, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, is the foundation. Uh, and that it's not Peter, cross-referencing at the first... Peter chapter 2, Peter didn't understand it to refer to him. He put himself in with all the rest of the little stones built up into the spiritual house, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. Ephesians 2.20 says, we're built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. He quotes scripture, behold I lay in Zion, a cornerstone, a rock of offense. Whoever believes on him, not Peter, Christ will not be ashamed. Okay, I appreciate that. We're going to look into this. Was Peter given the supremacy among the other apostles? We're going to look at the history as well as the scripture uh, concerning the early church next week, and so I hope that you'll join us. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.